Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share the insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Sean Cohen is the Chief Operating Officer at AWeber, one of the world's leading email marketing and automation software companies. Sean oversees the activities of all teams, collaborates with the CEO on strategic vision and planning, and advocates for AWeber's core values throughout all company initiatives. Sean joined AWeber back in, get this, 2001. So I'm actually really excited to hear this journey, this 17-year journey of like really the post um, first dot-com bubble, but he joined as a customer solutions manager where his pragmatic solutions quickly distinguished him as a company leader. Today, he continues to grow AWeber through his passion for building a fanatical company culture, developing people by challenging them to work outside of their comfort zone to achieve the greatest potential, and creating a remarkable experience for AWeber's 100,000 plus customers worldwide. Sean, super excited to, um, to hear from you, learn from you. Um, I actually at one point was an AWeber client and I, I, I'm not even sure why we switched. I think I was probably like so early in my journey that I didn't even know what AWeber did and I'm not sure how we switched off of it, but I'm going to have to revisit that again. I would say I now have a goal for this podcast. <laughs> there you go. Convert me. So yeah, tell absolutely. me, tell me about your journey and, and like 17 years, I don't have to ask, you know, why you got started with the company because you came in so early, but maybe tell us a little bit about the journey and, and um, give us some of your, I guess the key lessons you've learned over the years. This is going to be different from most of the people I've had on the show just because you've been there for so long. So I'm really excited to learn kind of a lot of the lessons that you've maybe learned over the years too. Sure. Um, I, I guess the best place to start is really at the beginning. Um, I joined AWeber back in 2001, like you said, right after sort of the or right in the middle of the um, dot com bubble bursting kind of people trying to figure out their way in the world. Um, when I joined AWeber, there were four of us. Um, each one having sort of a core responsibility. We had a founder who bootstrapped the organization. Um, you know, really had the initial plans and thoughts and, and um, started bringing in team members slowly by surely. Uh, three years in, we're four people. We have an engineer. We have uh, Tom Colzer, our COO or CEO and founder. Um, and we had somebody doing business development. And then I was brought in to do customer service. Uh, basically, somebody needed to talk to the customers that we were um, introducing to the world of email marketing. And I was that guy. Um, and as you can imagine, we're a startup company. We're uh, really flying by the seat of our pants. We had a ton of passion uh, for what we were doing. Um, and we were starting to grow and see success because what ultimately we were trying to do is create a remarkable experience for customers. And lo and behold, what we started doing was we kind of started creating this culture, this culture that we didn't realize at the time. We never certainly said the words culture before. Um, but that's really what it was about. And, you know, we can certainly talk about how that's been instituted here at AWeber because it's really sure. important to our fabric. Um, but my role has always been customer facing. Uh, even back then, I, I try to stay as close to the customer as absolutely possible. Um, and in my role today as COO, um, I uh, am still as close as possible to the customer. In fact, I still take phone calls every once in a while mm, um, to uh, continue good conversations. Tell me, tell me, how many employees have you guys got? Just so we know the rough scope of the operation today. I mean, starting at four and over 17 years, I'm guessing with 100,000 customers, you've got some scale. 
Yeah, we have uh, 125 team members now. So we've definitely tried to scale very organically and, and um, not overzealous. Um, but yeah, 125 all located here in Chalfont, so nothing remote. Very cool. And where are you based out of? We're right outside of Philadelphia in Chalfont, Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah, I thought you were East Coast for some reason as well. I thought you were Boston for some reason. So mm-hmm. yeah, you guys are at a really interesting point with your, your, um, your headcount as well. You've actually managed to keep it under control where I think a lot of companies have you know, gone through raises, built out. They get to the point where it's almost, it's almost ridiculous how many employees they've got. How, yeah. have you kept it, how have you kept it to that scale? And, and by the way, I've also, I don't think I've ever heard a single negative comment about AWeber. Um, with, with a lot of the email marketing software out there, the automation stuff that's out there, you hear, I hear all kinds of issues, but AWeber, I've never actually heard a negative comment about. So what are you guys doing there? Well, I appreciate that. Um, we, you know, I think it really comes down to the culture, to be honest with you. I mean, we're hiring team members with entrepreneurial spirit, team members who are very vested in what we do as an organization, not only from the product perspective, but from our ability to help and serve customers. Um, yeah, it would be easy to be triple the size that we are today. Sure. Um, but I think that's, there's, you know, there's a lot of value in kind of keeping things small and keeping um, our team as close to the problems as possible so that not only are they seeing the problems arise, they're challenged with also coming up with solutions and executing on those. So they feel that sense of accomplishment across the board. And we see that not only in engineering, but in customer solutions, um, product design across the board. So I'm going to take a gut call here, but my gut is that you guys have kept your customer team fairly small and you've actually fixed the root problems along the way. So how many people are in your customer solutions team? About 30. So that's a little bigger than I would have imagined then, but I guess with 100,000 clients, I was thinking of kind of WhatsApp as being almost a comparable where I think they had 55 employees when they sold for 19 billion and it was because they they really kept their product so simple and their services so simple and, and you know, their FAQs were strong. Customers didn't need to call them. Um, go back and talk a little bit about your, your culture and your employee focus. It sounds like that's really been the core focus of AWeber then is really focused on employee culture. Yeah. And truthfully, it starts at the very beginning, right? So, you know, it's the hiring, it's onboarding, it's training. um, And we've really brought culture into the mix uh, for all of that. Um, So we, you know, we started at our interview process and we looked at, you know, technical skill. Sure, there's lots of ways to evaluate that. But how do we really uh, evaluate culture fit? How do we determine whether somebody's going to come in, you know, and be the brilliant jerk? which we try to avoid by all, all yep. measures. Yeah. Um, so we ask a lot of culture-related questions. Uh, sort of our culture, I believe, can be boiled down into like sort of the pursuit to create remarkable experiences for our team and our customers. So one of the interview questions we ask to all team members, no matter role they're coming into, is how have you created a remarkable experience for another team member or a customer? And if somebody can't think about that and and give sort of a, an objective answer to that, they're probably not our person. Yeah, um, yeah. And we want to be able to bring that into it. So then we we've so we've hired for culture fit, and then what happens in most companies is you have a desk and a and a computer, and we say, okay, now you understand our culture. Good luck. <laughs> um, so what we've tried to do is create an experience. Um, 
all new team members who come in for the first two weeks are asked to do nothing they were hired to do. Uh, we go through an entire onboarding process with them that starts with getting to know each one of the departments, um, understanding how the departments work together. Uh, mm -hmm. No matter if they're coming for customer solutions, they're going to learn all about how engineering works and awesome. how engineering and customer service works. Um, and then we actually ask them to create their own small business. Um, whether it be fake or whether it's something that they were passionate about and start using our service uh, for that business. Oh, very cool. So you get them to become a customer in a way. You got it. You know, we want them to sort of have sort of humbling experiences as it relates to using the service for their own business. That's really and cool. Really putting yourself in the shoes of a customer um, is really the only way that, in my opinion, that you're going to be able to understand their, their strengths, their weaknesses, their pain points. Um, and, sort of develop a, a good practice around creating a remarkable experience. That's really um, cool. It's interesting. I, we, we built, um, I, I was the second in command for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And I remember the first time that I ever used the 1-800-GOT-JUNK services, I was surprised in some ways that, you know, the trucks that I thought were going to be showing up perfect were a little bit less than perfect. And the uniforms that I was so excited about were kind of dirty and grimy. The guys were great, but I was like, huh, like I did see it from, from the eyes of the, uh, of the consumer. And I didn't actually... I didn't think about codifying it and having every employee go through that experience, but it's certainly worthwhile. And it sticks with you, right? I mean, For and, sure. and somebody coming in can identify some of those small things or some of those things immediately. Um, but if they're not empowered to do things about them and, and fix those problems along the way, then they'll be there for the next person to deal with. So how do you empower them to, to, to make those decisions or to, um, to put solutions in place then? Give us some, a specific example of how you might empower your team. Well, we make them part of it, right? So, you know, from strategic planning to tactical planning, um, we try to make sure that our teams are a part of that. And it's not just a, a waterfall here at AWeber where, you know, it comes from the top down and you, you do what you, we say. Um, we want to build strategic plans based on information we're getting directly from the people who are talking to our customers and who are writing code. Um, so we, we do a lot as it relates to planning and transparency, everything from, you know, weekly one-on-ones to, um, sort of weekly, uh, strap planning to town hall meetings every month where it can be an open forum. Like we're going to be fully transparent about all the numbers and, and all the things that are kind of going on on a month over month basis. Um, and then it's time for Q and a what's working, what's not working. What do you want to bubble up? And, um, what are some of the problems we can solve as an organization? It's so simple, right? <laughs> <laughs> it seems that way, but it's, you know, it, it's something that you have to commit to. Yeah, no, but it really is extraordinarily simple, but so many companies get away from it. And you guys have focused on the core things that actually work. And then, like you said, you stay committed to it as well. Like you don't, you don't give up on it or look for the new shiny object. Tell me about, about the growth. I mean, it's, it's, um, I was sitting with the CEO of Infusionsoft, Clayton Mask, and we were talking about rapidly growing companies and how most of the mid-level team or the senior team, it's very hard for them to stay with the company through two successes, doubles of revenue or for a triple of revenue. Mm -hmm. um, how have you been able to, and, or have you been able to kind of grow your team so that they can continue to scale with the company and um, maybe talk around that issue for us? Yeah, so uh, you know, I think there's a couple of different solves there. Not none of which we've gotten perfect by any means. I mean, we're 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 continued to be after 20 years a work in progress. Um, 
I think it starts with, you know, hiring people that have sort of been there, done that. You know, when I hire someone, um, I don't look at where we are today as an organization. I try to say, well, I want to be here in five years. And have you already seen some of the challenges that we're going to face potentially? And how have you solved those problems? I mean, I don't need to have an interview and ask about all the problems that we had yesterday or maybe that we have today that we're already on a path to solving. Right. So I think it really starts there. Um, and then from, from there, I mean, our leadership team by and large has probably been here, you know, on average of five or six years, maybe a little bit longer in some cases. Um, so they definitely have time in um, and they've seen growth um, We've we've been able very fortunately to double our company uh, several times. Several times, sure. Yeah, and uh, and part of the leadership team has been here for 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 parts of that. Um, but again, I think it's about you know continuing good lines of communication and creating an environment where it's okay to fail. Um, okay, okay, well, yeah. Walk me through that. How do you actually create that environment where it's okay to fail? And um, like, are there mantras that you use, or how do you support that? Not that we're out looking for failure, but how do we support where the employees don't feel bad because they've made a mistake? Yeah. Well, first of all, you try to not to use the word failure, I guess, right? You know, it's, it's challenges, right? There's always challenges. And when you're faced with a challenge, it's about how you're going to overcome that. And that's what I talk a lot about at, you know, at my, you know, department head meetings and my one-on-ones. Um, I want to hear about all the good things you've done, but I want to hear about things that have not gone right. And I really poke and prod for that stuff because it gets overlooked. Um, maybe because they're already past it or they're trying to solve it and they're just kind of working their way through it. Um, so in reality, I really just try to make it a part of the conversation on a continuous basis. Um, tell me where your challenges are. Uh, what was your biggest challenge this week? Uh, how are we on a path to overcome it? And, and I say, I don't know is an okay answer because that's a place to start from. You know, this is, I think you're actually explaining why you guys are the best place to work in Pennsylvania kind of six years in a row and why your culture is so strong. It's not about the, the wee room and the foosball table and the free lunch. It's about actually hiring the right people and hiring ahead of the curve and bringing people in who have done stuff before and then giving them the time and the one-on-one meetings and the ability to communicate like that. Is it, would that be your read on this as well? Is that where your culture comes from? Yeah, without question. I mean, we we have all the great perks, right? But perks are not culture. Um, in no way, shape, or form is the foosball table or the slides that we have in the lobby uh, in any way, shape, or form our culture. And we're purposeful about that. And we yeah. talk about that. Um, sure, writing slides from the second floor to the first floor brings a lot of joy and, and happiness. Um, but it has to be more than that. And that's what creates, um, you know, a really strong team is understanding the culture. Um, to sort of my peers in industry, and we talk about culture, I have sort of one defining question. And it's like, define your culture today. And then go ask three other people in your organization to define the culture and see how closely it lines up. Uh, mm. Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, it doesn't. It doesn't, uh, yeah. And to talk about, you know, the fridge full of sodas and the free lunches first, and then they start talking about other things that are really the meat of the culture. And I'm sort of on a pursuit to change that, not only at AWeber, but... Uh, Globally. Yeah. yeah, good. It's funny, like, I, I always think about when I was growing up as a kid, I had a couple of friends who you know, had the slides and the fridges full of all the cool stuff and all the cool toys and their family culture was terrible. Yeah. And then I had other friends whose family culture was amazing, like just cool. And they didn't have, they didn't have half of that stuff. They didn't have any of the perks, but 
they had core values and good alignment and good, you know, good communication and, and everybody liked each other and people, they hung out together and did stuff. I'm like, damn, that was good. Right. And, yeah, because uh, they liked being with each other. I mean, the, the perks can be a distraction, right? Like a yeah. distraction for other problems that aren't being solved. Yeah, we don't need a bunch of grumpy negative people riding a slide. If we do not. Right? <laughs> um, you, you even said it and it was like the brilliant, was, I, I forget your words, it was like the brilliant engineer that nobody likes. It was the... The brilliant jerk. The brilliant jerk, yeah. That, that's, that's a very, that's kind of what Jack Welch at GE used to talk a lot about was the very strong results but the bad culture fit people. You get those cancers out of the company. How do you guys... Um, or how have you codified, I guess, firing people and getting the wrong people out of Aweber? I mean, we obviously, we make mistakes at times, or how do you get the wrong people out? Uh, take action quickly. <laughs> you know, there will be, there is no time in, in my history that I've looked back and said, man, I should have waited a lot longer before I let go of that person. Right. Um, and, and I know that's, you know, that's something that everyone says, but just trying to get better at closing that gap because we're not perfect yeah. at the end of the day. And somebody's going to make it through an interview, you know, they're a really great interviewer and, and they come in and they start working for a few months or a few weeks even. And we start to recognize the, the telltale signs. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, team members don't want to work with or for people like that. Um, and creating a culture where they bubble it up is really important to me so that they feel confident to say, red flag, uh, we should probably go a little deeper here, even if it's a peer um, and or if even if it's their manager. We've had um, scenarios where people are bubbling it up pre 90 days and we start to have the conversation and we say, you're absolutely right. And. Uh, knowing that somebody like that will not do well in our environment, I set them free. Uh, right. Find what's going to make you happy because it certainly won't be here. Yeah, and the government's always hiring too. That's right. <laughs> um, I, I rarely recommend business books, but recently I started reading The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, and it, it just, I'm scribbling notes and flagging pages, and I don't know if you've read it, but holy, it's awesome. Um, one of the things they talk about, though, is the hiring mistakes that we make and that he forces really the debrief on the team to say, why did we hire that person in the first place? You know, how did they get through our interviewing and recruiting and top grading process? How did they get through our, our reference checks? And, and then how, how come, how did we fail them in the training process? Like, because he, he considers every firing um, necessary, like we do, you and I, but, but also then he debriefs on, you know, management's mistakes. So what, I guess, learnings have you guys had from some of the mistakes that we, you know, you've had in the past? From a hiring perspective, yeah. I, I think, you know, it's, it's, there's a couple of different things. I think, you know, not bringing culture into the interview process was a huge lesson yeah. for us because um, as we were growing and scaling and, and quite frankly, growing and scaling quickly, it, you know, sometimes it's easy to overlook certain uh idiosyncrasies or personality traits because the person who's coming in has an amazing technical talent and they can move your, your, your business forward. And in, in those cases, we were probably looking really short term, right? Mm. Uh, we were looking at the problems that are on the table today and knowing that this person can come in and try to solve those problems for us or probably could do a great job of that. But what happens in six months or a year? And I think one of the lessons we learned was when you're hiring someone, you have to look out. Um, you know, maybe not looking out 10 years anymore or even five years, but even and two or three. 
exactly two or three years. What is it? What type of value is this person going to provide and how are they going to help move our business forward beyond just their role and their technical competencies? Um, because it's so much more than that. Um, and, and another lesson that we've learned is that, you know, a, a bad hire not only affects the team member, it can event, affect business results, but it affects the people around them. Um, and that, that took us a little while to figure out, to be honest with you. And, and I think we, we've definitely done a much better job of that and sort of institutionalized our interview process and some of the retros and things like that that you're talking about, um, you know, we're doing it. Uh, I think we could do it on the other side as well if somebody does leave. Well, an exit interview is great, but what, what, where did we go wrong mm-hmm. um, and what could we do right or do better? How are you? Um, how are you guys? First off, do you have are all of your employees at your office, or do you have some remote employees? We don't. We have uh, everyone's located here. Wow, awesome! Yeah, That's, it's kind of old school, but it's like I'm I'm old school. <laughs> um, are you are you resisting the urge to hire, or do you just not need to, or is it um, is it a strategic you know focus to make sure that you keep bringing people internally? Well. It's a great question. You know, I'd say historically it's been very strategic. Um, you know, team members who work together, they get to interact together. Uh, we've always been able to find those people or relocate them willingly. Um, so it hasn't been a huge challenge for us. I mean, there were, certainly the writings on the wall. I recognize full wholeheartedly that you know remote work is is sort of potentially the future but um i I like to come into work every day i like to be able to walk up and have an interaction with somebody that's face to face and i think that's there's so much value in that um that i'm clinging to it a little bit to be honest with you yeah i don't think we have to throw out the baby with the bathwater either i think it works Mm -hmm. for an awful lot of companies still and if it does you know run with it right um If I was starting a company today, I don't know what culture I would go with. I would probably lean towards what you're doing as well because um, I, I like that same feeling. Tell me about Gen Y a little bit. So even that Gen Y isn't loyal to their work like you and I were. You know, I was five to seven years at each of the companies that I built. Um, I've been doing what I'm doing now for 11. Gen Y seems to be like six weeks to six months at a time. Yep. Um, so how do, you, how do you retain them and how do you... Um, I guess, keep them engaged when they just have a different mindset. You know, when their parents have said, you know, skip jobs every six months, you know, move laterally, move up, grab another 10 grand, move over. How, how are you guys working within that? Yeah, great question. Um, it's something we face with, uh, you know, every day, quite frankly. Um, and I, I think it really starts with why they're moving, right? Um, in most cases, uh, at least from what I've seen, it's because they want more responsibility, they want a bigger title, they want mm-hmm. more pay. Um, and, and it's not just about the change, it's about that they've been sort of taught that in order to grow, they need to move on. And what we've tried to do here at Aweber is create a lot of educational opportunities and a lot of room for growth, both horizontally and uh, vertically. So like there's a depth and breadth of knowledge that you can take in your own role um, and continue to move up in pay scale and in responsibilities. Um, which I think has helped to stem that to a certain degree. We we certainly don't see the six months to a year as often as we used to. Um, and again, I think it's about creating those opportunities. I mean, we do everything from, you know, lunch and learns, career mapping, career planning. Uh, we do, uh, we have this thing called the AWeber University where team members can really learn 
outside of their current domains um, and be able to sort of immerse themselves in other roles and things like that, um, which I think helps because at the end of the day, people are skipping because they're not learning and they're not, essentially they're not engaged. Um, So we try to really combat that by creating an environment that embraces that um, and also recognizes that, hey, listen, we're still not 500 people. I don't have you know, a level up for every single person in the organization today, but I have a lot more room to grow from a domain knowledge perspective, from a technical perspective, and I'm willing to invest in you. Um, And I think it's about having that conversation and then acting on it. Yeah. And I agree with the acting on it too. So Mm -hmm. you touched on a little bit of the training with Aweber University as well. And and you talked about it earlier with the, you know, the hiring and, um, and onboarding and then the training what kind of training specifically are you giving people? Um, can you kind of walk us through how your training programs maybe work? And then how do you, how do you measure um, training? I mean, we, we measure our recruiting funnels and we are measuring, you know, our, our sales funnels. How do you measure the training component in your business? And, and I guess the skill level people are at, or do you? Yeah, we, we do some of that. Um, so the, the training is, uh, there's a couple of sort of formalized training programs that we have here. Like I spoke about the Aweber University. We have sort of this thing called Tuesday Tutorial, which is like pretty much if you have you know, something that you want to teach about and there's people who want to learn about it, then we sort of put that together. Um, and it's a very sort of ad hoc, very fluid way for us to uh, disseminate information and, and get uh, team members sort of thinking about different things beyond their day-to-day. Um, but then we have formal career mapping and career training. So if somebody Mm. is interested in, let's say, becoming an engineer and they're not an engineer, well, we're going to help them on that path, whether it's, you know, internal shadowing and training, we do formal training programs, like let's say somebody wants to learn how to write Python, or we're going to put together a Python class so they can actually learn the coding disciplines and and so forth and so on. But then we start to encourage other things, right? So we have um, tuition reimbursement and we, we really want them to be more holistic. So we, we recognize there's only so much we can do here at Aweber to train somebody. Um, sometimes we need outside help. Uh, sure. so, so putting them through sort of all those stages and then saying, you know, basically, you know, do this, this, and this, and then it's 50-50, right? So w- what is it that they need to learn from their perspective? Um, there's only so much I can say, you need to learn these things. I need the team member to also be a part of that growth because they need to have some skin in the game, to be honest with you. Sure. Talk, talk about your growth then. I mean, every day that you wake up in the last 17 years, this is the biggest company you've ever run. Like every day, this is, you know, like, it's like, shit, it just got bigger again. Um, so how are you working on your specific leadership skills and business skills? Where, you know, where are you growing? What are you doing to grow? And, and I guess, what areas have you focused on? Yeah, so I'm in, that's a great question. And it's sort of a scary thought to wake up every morning knowing this is the biggest company that I've ever run. It is for Um, all of us, by the way. It's like everyone in their job, that's what's happening. Absolutely. Um, So what I try to do is a couple of different things. I I try to surround myself with people who have done bigger things than myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I'm a part of uh, a couple of different um, advisory groups, Um, you know, not, you know, not unlike your COO Alliance, which is, I think is fantastic. Um, And I I really try to learn from other people and I try to bring my mistakes to a group of peers so that we could have, you know, an issue processing and a retro because I don't know. What kind of groups, what kind of groups are you in? Uh, I'm in Vistage. Awesome. In their key group? Um, No, I'm on, I'm in the CE group. So, uh, 
yeah, with, you know, with other CEOs. Cool. Um, you know, my role here today uh, at AWeber is just sort of, and I'm, I think in every podcast interview you do, the, 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 the number one thing people say is my role as COO is different than everyone else's. Um, and I think that's sort of a common thread between all of us. Um, but in, in, at AWeber, um, everyone reports to me um, mm-hmm. and no one reports to our CEO. He's a very sort of technical product thought leader, sure. um, strategist, um, where I tend to be more on the people side of it. Yep. So every department, every department head um, member reports to me. So my responsibilities really run the gamut from engineering to customer service and everything in between. Um, so we share a lot of those responsibilities as it relates to not only growing the business and coming with up with strategic direction, um, but I'm instituting the operational side of it across the board, which sure. I really enjoy, um, but I don't know everything and I don't know it all. So I rely a lot on my team leads and my department head members, my leadership team. Um, but again, getting some of that outside perspective is paramount. I could never do this on my own. Well, and Vistage is a great organization. I actually, I even spoke at the Vistage. Vistage Executive Summit in Philadelphia a couple of years ago. They had it. Uh, I was there. Oh, were you there? Very yeah. cool. Yeah, it was yeah. at a big, big old train station or something. It was a beautiful, amazing, like spectacular facility. It was really mm-hmm. cool. Um, yeah, and Vistage. So Vistage, for anybody who doesn't know, is a, a peer-to-peer learning group. It's been around for about sixty-five or seventy years. Has around. 30,000 members, I think, or, or more globally. Um, and it's a peer-to-peer where the CEOs meet on a monthly basis and they have a chair and you guys share information and resources and kind of help each other grow. And I think that's a, that's a powerful group. So, so that's one area for sure. What specific areas have you worked on then over the years? Have you tried to, to gain strength in specific areas over others? Yeah, so I, I try to continue to gain strength in all areas without question. I mean, you know, my, my general leadership skills and my ability to solve people issues, um, you know, growing through and with people. Um, but I'm also, you know, running a technology company. So I try to continue to hone my skills on the product side of things, on the engineering mm. side of it. You mm. know, 17 years ago, I considered myself a computer guy, but I was humbled very quickly. <laughs> Um, and I continue to be when I'm, you know, when we're, we're growing and evolving and, and at a pace that is just amazing with, you know, lightning speed as technology continues to evolve. But I definitely continue to hone my skills on the product side, really helping to create product roadmaps and definitions, trying to really determine what it is that we want to be able to provide to customers that they need today but they're really going to need tomorrow and, and beyond. Uh, so I spend a lot of time reading books and consuming information and really working with different leaders here uh, to hone those skills. You've, you've talked about um, listening to the customers a couple of times. How do you specifically listen to the customers? You talked about listening in on calls, but can you give us some, I guess, some specific examples of what you do to stay close to the customer? Yeah. So, um, you know, A, obviously we, it can start with just surveys, right? We do NPS uh, every quarter to all of our customers, um, really trying to gauge um, their general happiness level. And with that, we get a lot of feedback, as you can imagine. You know, the it's very much a one-question survey, but when you have a free form underneath of it to give us more data, yeah. uh, you can get lost in that world really quickly. Um, so I spent a lot of time there, and I spent a lot of time, you know, answering emails for customers and strategizing with our customer service leaders. Um, and then every once in a while, I jump on the phones. Um, you know, I take random phone calls from customers, get a heartbeat of what's going on. Um, again, it's, you know, there's, there's ways that you can do it 
very high tech. And I think some ways you can do it low tech. And I try not to forget about either one of them. Now, um, in, in some of our notes that we did when we were looking into to, um, ha- having you on the show, we kind of uncovered your affiliate program. How, how big has your affiliate program been in terms of your growth? And has that changed over the last 15 years? It has changed and it has been growing. Um, you know, we have an affiliate program that's uh, built organically uh, so that we're not necessarily on the networks or anything like that. So an affiliate has to come in mm-hmm. and um, actually sign up purposefully to become an affiliate. And we see a lot of growth through that channel because in a lot of cases, they're advocates for our service. So some of our best affiliates are customers already who know, like, and trust our service and they want to be able to recommend it out to you know their customers. So we see a lot of growth in that channel, um, but I think there's a lot of changes that are being made, a lot of roll-ups into things like Commission Junction and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so we're continuing to try to evolve that. Um, God, they're still in business after all these years. Crazy. They are. I was a client of Commission Junction in 1999. We were running a private currency 20 years ago, and, and CJ and LinkShare we were clients of theirs. It's amazing. Yeah, they're still one of the biggest ones out there for sure. Gotta be. Yeah. So I like that you're actually doing it more organically and more internally though. Yeah. And we have our own affiliate manager here. Again, you know, it's about us being able to stay as close as possible to the customer and listen to their concerns and being being able to evolve because of that and listen to the things that are making them really successful and do more of that. And by keeping it in-house, at least for now, um, it allows us to do that and allows us to bubble up that information in a really organic way um, and then reach back out to them. They're our affiliate. You know, we have their contact information. We don't have to do it through an intermediary um, and we're, we like to be in control. Do you guys use any recruiting firms at all or have you just leveraged your own, you know, marketing efforts and your own, um, I guess, marketing presence to, to, to recruit? For affiliates or for? I'm sorry, for employees, yeah. Yeah, we, we do most sorry, of it. I, I hyperlinked. That, that was a big hyperlink. <laughs> we, uh, we do most of it in-house. We have uh, three full-time recruiters who are recruiting for us on a, on a continuous basis. Um, but we do use some outside help for some roles that are more difficult to hire for, mm. especially at the leadership level and some of our, uh, you know, really senior technical positions uh, will engage, you know, third party recruiters. But again, we, we try to implore a lot of technology um, you know, we use um, things like Greenhouse and we use Indeed and we use a lot of the aggregation services, but um, nothing beats feet on the floor, going to events, shaking hands. So we try to really get out in our, at least our local area as much as possible um, because we want to put a face with the name and really be able to have good conversations. So our recruiting team, no matter what roles they're hiring for, are typically out a couple of nights a week recruiting. Um, And then we also do things like meetups here in our office um, so that we can teach, but also get to know potentially new candidates. So we try to do a lot of creative things as well. Interesting. Yeah, you guys have certainly got it figured out. Um, talk talk about the how the maturity level of the company has changed the way that you operate. I mean, you said that you you look for people that are entrepreneurial and you want them to think and be entrepreneurial, um, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. But I guess as a company goes from you know four employees to eight to sixteen to thirty two to sixty to one hundred and twenty, 
um, the, it's almost like we go from being a child to a toddler, to a teenager, to an adult, to, or an adolescent, to an adult, you know, how has, how has, has a Weber changed over the years through each of your kind of growth hurdles? Well, like how have you had to change? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you're, you're, you can fly by the seat of your pants for a few years and try to figure things out. Um, there's probably a little bit of a fake it till you make it type of scenario when you're yep. first starting as most, as most startup companies will recognize. Um, and I'm sure we've done all of that. Um, I, I think for us, you know, instituting a culture and being really steadfast about it early has been paramount to getting us to where we are today, mm. for sure. Um, but I think it's also things like, you know, really be humble, create processes that you, you know, that will work and iterate on them um, and recognize that, you know, we don't have all the answers and we try to hire smart people um, and give them room to be able to do great things versus, you know, when you're a startup company, it's like, you know, I know everything, come in and, and do the work that I want you to do. Um, so I think maturing over the years also means being humble um, and recognizing that, you know, we have to create processes and systems um, so that we can, you know, have work that's replicable um, and recognize that, you know, at the end of the day, we've, we've faced some of these challenges and we've overcome those challenges. I don't want to do it again. I want to be able to mm. document that procedure, um, have it something that can be systematized so that we can continue to solve bigger problems and challenges instead of the same ones over and over again. That's really, yeah. I love the fact you document it and systemize it. Tell me, you guys are, are you know, you're a technology company, you're a SaaS company that, that, um, what, what technology tools are you guys using to scale like to grow and to run your business? Yeah. So we, that's an, I guess that's another thing. I mean, we've done a lot, at least early on to build our own tools, mm. uh, for, for better or for worse. Um, and then recognizing that, you know, there's, you know, that we don't have to be the experts in everything, um, that there are better tools out there for us to use across the board. So things like, you know, like I talked about using Greenhouse um, as our applicant tracking system and being able to use tools like Zendesk for customer solutions, where for the first 15 years, we used homegrown solutions. But, you know, there's better tools out there. Um, you know, we have 24-7 live customer support. Um, so we have to rely on tools that are not only robust, but are, um, that can scale with us. Sure. Uh, yep. So we, you know, we use things like live chat and we use things like Zendesk. Um, and then of course, our, you know, our phone system, all voice over IP, but we're still on a homegrown, you know, asterisk system for that. How about, um, project management? What are you doing for project management, task management? Um, we use a lot of homegrown tools for that. Uh, you know, we use Basecamp and things like that for, you know, interfacing with some of our consultants and vendors. Um, but in-house, we're using um, mostly Confluence and Jira, which are Elastian tools. Yeah. Yeah. And we use them not only in engineering, but we've instituted them in uh, marketing and design as well because they... Um, they subscribe to the agile process as well. So we use scrum and agile, not only in engineering, but we do it through marketing as well. Uh, so they are running on the same sprints um, so that everything is consistent across the board. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of astounded that the whole agile and scrum process hasn't migrated into the rest of the operations of companies as much as, as it, 
for me, it just seems like such a natural. It's like, why wouldn't you do it that way? Yeah, I mean, it, it helps to align and, and create you. So you're aligning all of your work, right? So if you're doing something on the product side, there's going to be an alignment from what marketing's doing. And, and so if you can follow the same sprint process mm-hmm. and estimate your work and de- determine what type of resources you need and, you know, really create a, a consistency across the board. You know, we've been doing it, I'd say, for about two years with great success. Um, you know, certainly not without its hurdles, but, um, you know, getting it all aligned on the same tool. So when we're in Confluence, I can look up anything um, and we try to institute all that knowledge inside of Confluence and other tools like that. Uh, it just makes it so much easier. Yeah, I, I just saw it when I was playing pickup football and, you know, when we were 12 years old and, you'd, you know, all get together for a huddle and someone would tell everybody what their play was and everybody would know what they're supposed to do. They'd go off and do it and then you yep. come back and you'd have your next huddle. And it was like, well, that was easy. I mean, why wouldn't you just run a business the same way? It seems to kind of work. People get excited. They get their shit done instead yeah, of having these big one-year plans that no one ever does anything on. It, it sort of makes sense to, to have a stand-up meeting with all of your teams to make sure you're aligned on a daily basis. I mean, to me, that just sort of makes sense. Just works. Yeah, um, it does. Absolutely. You mentioned something early on about titles, and I just wanted to ask you about that. What is your company's, I guess, uh, belief, or, or how do you deal with titles? Uh, great question. Um, and I think I have two schools of thought on that. You know, there's, there's titling within our organization, which I think helps to, to delineate and define roles. Um, I think a title is really hard to convey all of what you do to an organization mm-hmm. uh, or for an organization. But I also think they mean a lot more on the outside than they do internally. Uh, so I, you know, we have, you know, appropriate titles here at Aweber and there's certainly, you know, um, room to grow and, and mature from, you know, junior to a mid-level to senior and director and VP and beyond. But, you know, when you're interfacing with, you know, somebody on the outside, I don't really care what you call yourself. You know, if you want to be king of product or queen of product, um, and that is the best title to convey whatever it is that you're trying to convey to, um, you know, a, a vendor or whomever it is, you know, go for it. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, I, I care far less about titles and I'm sure, you know, there's probably some documentation that says the, the, the further up the chain you go, the less you care about titles. Um, but I try to institute that at the end of the day to all of our team members, you know, you can have any title you want. It's what you do with it. Um, and it's what you do at the organization that really matters. Um, if you're doing something that's far different than your title, then let's level set and let's figure out what makes more sense. Um, just cause we don't have the title today doesn't mean we can't have it tomorrow if it's meaningful and impactful for the business. Yeah, and I think you're handling it the same way I do as well. I, I, I worry about companies that throw away titles and they're like, oh, you know, here's, have everybody's a VP and then all of a sudden you get, you get salary inflation as well where people's expectations of what they're worth are a lot higher than what they're really doing day to day. Last question I want to know is just how do your one-on-ones work? You talked about having the weekly one-on-ones where you coach your employees. Maybe can you walk us through what a typical one-on-one looks like? Sure. Um, so one-on-ones for me and all of my direct reports start with a shared document that we keep um, so that there is a shared set of expectations for every single meeting and we can go back to that historically. So it's a running document from the beginning of time. Um, and it really starts with their agenda, uh, always. What are, what are some of the things that they are doing? What are some of the things they need help with? Where are they blocked? Um, but I really try to have them set the agenda because that's an hour that they get uninterrupted to you know, tell me or 
work with me, whatever the case may be. Um, and then I bring in my agenda, right? Then we start talking about things like KPIs and, and uh, goal setting and things like that. So we really have sort of a shared time. But if somebody needs 59 minutes of 60 minutes, I'm giving it to them every single time. Mm. Um, but again, again, I think the, the, the sort of the keystone to that is, is shared expectations for all of my one-on-ones. It's, you know, these are the expectations. These are the, the things that we're working on. And if we both say we're going to do something, we don't leave that meeting without saying when, you know, what's mm-hmm. the date in which that will get done. So that way we can have an appropriate conversation. Love it. Yeah. I always push people to not even tell me when it'll be completed by, but when are they actually physically doing the work? So we actually really know they've even got the time to do what they're talking about. Um, Sean, you are, are clearly um, one of the core reasons, if not the core reason why a Weber is just absolutely crushing it. I mean, you, you clearly get it and um, it's amazing what you've done coming from employee number four to, to where you guys are today. So Sean Cohen, the chief operating officer for a Weber, I wanted to thank you for being on the second command podcast and kind of giving us the rest of the story. The um, everyone interviews the CEO and I always wanted to hear the rest of the story. So thanks for sharing. I really appreciate having me on today. Yeah, you're welcome. And love your city, by the way, as well. We've had some great meals in Philly. It's a good spot. Awesome. All right, buddy. Take care. Thank you. Bye now. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.